when you get multiple guys on the floor who are kind of playing with anticipation and, you know, knowing kind of what all 10 guys are going to do in different situations, I think that's where, you know, as a coach, you can kind of step back, don't overcoach them, like let them play. Like you're just trying to get guys to that point where you trust that they're going to make decisions and that they have the understanding of what they're going to do. Now, do they get all the decisions right? No, but they're not limited by their kind of understanding of what you're trying to accomplish. Welcome to Slapping Glass, where we explore basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome the head men's basketball coach for UC San Diego, Eric Olin. Coach Olin is here today to discuss helping players in the maturity process, building offense around strengths, and we talk handling pressure shot selection, and coaching polos during the always fun start, sub, or sit. We're excited to offer a new monthly option for Slapping Glass Plus. For under $30 a month, coaches can get full access to Slapping Glass TV's over 350 deep dive videos, the Sunday morning newsletter, the private Coaches Corner community, monthly Q&A sessions, and more. For more information, please visit slappingglass.com. And now, please enjoy our conversation with Coach Eric Olin. Coach, thanks for making the time and coming on to talk to us this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. wanted to start with the concept of Helping players mature, especially early on in their careers. And I know you as a head coach, division one level, you're bringing in new freshmen every year and kind of the process of trying to get them on board and maturing as quickly as possible is obviously beneficial for them and for the team. And so I want to start with your thoughts on how you and your staff try to assist in helping players become more mature at a quick pace. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great question. That's what we're all kind of trying to do in terms of helping guys develop. There's the skill development piece of it. And then there's kind of like the on court, how you apply those skills you've developed and have them show up for you. And I think your understanding of how to play the system you're in, what the coaches are looking for, all of that stuff really plays a big part into at what point in your career do you start to see the impact? You start to have success. We kind of think about it You start out just teaching guys what to do in terms of where to be, you know, when this happens, you go here, you know, offensively, defensively, it's like positioning, spacing, timing. So I think they start out just thinking about what am I supposed to do? And I think anytime you're thinking about what you need to do or what's next, then you're not able to like play as fast and as free as optimal. And so the quicker you can get beyond just what I'm supposed to do into okay, what's the defense doing? And am I able to read the defense, make decisions from there, let other things other than just what am I personally supposed to do in this action inform your decision-making? And I think that process takes a little bit of time. And then maybe like the fully actualized version of that is where guys start to play with anticipation, where they not only know what they're supposed to do, they know what the defense is going to do when you do it or when someone else does it. and, And you're not just looking at like, yourself and your man, you're seeing more of the whole floor. You're knowing that if X and Y happen and I do Z, I'm going to get a shot in this part of the floor. And you really kind of 
with anticipation, seeing things come in. And I think that's when, you know, that takes time. It takes experience. There's no substitute for experience. So, you know, it's a lot of film reps. I mean, some guys are going to get to that point significantly faster than others, but when you get, you know, multiple guys on the floor who are kind of playing with anticipation and, you know, knowing kind of what all 10 guys are going to do in different situations. I think that's where, you know, as a coach, you can kind of step back, don't overcoach them, like let them play. Like you're just trying to get guys to that point where you trust that they're going to make decisions and that they have the understanding of what they're going to do. Now, do they get all the decisions right? No, but it's not a, they're not limited by their kind of understanding of what you're trying to accomplish, yeah. you know? And I think that's where you can really see whatever you're doing offensively or defensively. Like, I think it really takes off when your players feel comfortable enough to know when to get in and out of scheme and make plays on their own. Those kind of things. It'll be fun to get into all that on the court stuff in a second as well. But I kind of wanted to go back and maybe ask about off the court stuff with new guys or, or younger players. And for you, where you're at, maybe the first time a lot of these guys have lived on their own or, you know, are flying from different parts of the country or the world, get dropped off. And then now all of a sudden they've got to learn how to manage their time and where to be and, and how to be on their own. How do you guys try to help and assist in someone coming, you know, 18, 19 years old and now being on their own for the first time in beautiful, sunny San Diego? That's definitely part of it. I think that part of the kind of maturation process helps the more comfortable you can get. If you're off the floor, it's going to help you in whatever you're doing, classes and on the court stuff. So yeah, it's always an adjustment when the first time you leave home, you know, I think that going from high school to college is an adjustment academically going to high school to a place like uc san diego it can be a big adjustment depending on your experiences in high school and, and what you did to prepare you know we're fortunate from at least the academic side like we, we have some things in place from our admissions and that that make sure that we're getting you know really outstanding students first so they're capable there and so then if there's issues a lot of times it's just about kind of time management how do you manage your time? This is the first time you've maybe spent this much time in the gym or been this sore and then, you know, still had to go find time to study and, you know, just kind of managing all of that. I think also college is you have way more free time, even if you're playing basketball. And we talk about how much like it's a full-time thing, college basketball. But at the same time, you know, if you're in high school, you're in class eight to three or, you know, I don't yeah. the what time the bells go off these days, but uh, your day is so structured that where in college, you might only have one class on Mondays and Wednesdays, and then you have practice, but then, you know, what are you doing with the rest of your time? And, and how are you preparing for the next day, taking care of the things you need to do? So I think the time management piece is a big part of it. We try to really kind of help them with that and their schedules and what makes sense, you know, and then we have some other support things in place as a department, whether it's you know, orientations and education on what to eat, how to sleep, like all of those things really start to impact guys when they get to college. And maybe it's the first time they've really thought about it or talked about it. It can be a little overwhelming to sit down and say, okay, I got to change the way I eat, the way I sleep, the way I study all these things, you know, and to try to like take that on all at once can be overwhelming. So like how you apply it or choose like your progression in it, like, okay, well, let me start with getting a good night's sleep every night, managing my time. So I'm doing well. Okay. And then now I can mix in some opportunities to eat better or, you know, we'll help with that with our nutritionists and things like that. So, you know, those are definitely challenges that anybody going to college faces, but I think in particular, you know, student athletes. 
Coach, within those kind of examples you were giving there, how do you identify it? Are there certain red flags that you'll pick up and be like, hey, his process is going to be a little bit longer. We're going to need to work with him more. And then the other piece you mentioned, what do you prioritize if you are going to be more involved with that player? Like you said, is it sleep? Is it time management? Is it nutrition? That's a good question. And I think everybody's a little different in terms of what you want to prioritize. Most of the time, I think it's time management. You know, like if you can get your time management under control, then I think it allows you to improve some of the other things, right? Like eating better takes a little more time. You know, you have to manage your time if you're going to get to bed at a certain. So it starts with time management. And then, you know, I think a lot of the recognition is more of communication for the most part. I mean, I think you sometimes have an idea of who is going to need a little more help than others, but sometimes guys surprise you too. Like there have definitely been guys we thought he's going to be ready for this academically and for whatever reason, maybe just got off to a slow start or different things and need some help and then vice versa. I think there's some early communication and monitoring those guys like at the beginning, but at UCSD, you know, I'll say this too, as we talk about it, we kind of give everybody the benefit of the doubt in terms of we're getting guys who are excellent students. They know how to study. They know how to do well academically, or we wouldn't be able to get them into school. We kind of take the approach. We try to treat them like adults and and we're kind of watching and monitoring. We're kind of there also giving them the freedom to say like, Hey, if you have a preference, you can do it your way initially and and see if that works for you. And then if you feel like you need some help, you got to communicate that so that we can kind of step in and support you where you need it and those kind of things. So, but it's very individual. I don't have our guys all jump in a room for study hall or anything like that. I feel like that's counterproductive. I think we really try to treat each person individually and approach kind of case by case what's needed and assess it. Coach, I want to stick on nutrition. I find it a really fascinating topic, especially within basketball and performance. My first question is, have there been maybe signs on the court that your guys aren't eating right? Or that their nutrition is lacking that maybe some coaches should be aware of or pick up on. And then also, I guess just another one, have you always placed an emphasis on nutrition or when did you start to realize I got to emphasize this as well? I don't know that we've had signs just based on their play. I mean, other than like, there's always guys that you think like he could work on his body a little bit. If he were in a little better shape, you know, he could do X, Y, and Z on the court for us, whether that's defend more positions or play at a pace that we would prefer. I think those are things that maybe show up. And But from there, then it's just like, well, how do we help them with that? Is it just the conditioning part or is there something else that can support that? And, you know, I would say we put a bigger emphasis on it four or five years ago when we got a nutrition in place in our department. And we've been able to use that resource with our guys who want to kind of make a change or feel like, hey, I need to make some progress, whether it's maybe dropping some weight, adding some weight, getting stronger. I mean, Really, the nutrition piece is important to it. So we kind of have the pre and post-workout snack nutrition center. And then in addition to that, those guys who really have some aspirations to make some physical changes mm-hmm. can do, you know, we'll set up one-on-one meetings, talk about calorie intake, food suggestions. Even with our new guys, when they come, you know, we do like a little educational grocery shopping a couple times here in the summer with new guys where they're sitting down with the nutritionist and talking about, well, this is the stuff I want to get from the grocery store. And then she'll make suggestions instead of that. Maybe you should try this. So we're not just like getting them the healthier food one time. Hopefully, you know, some of that stuff is sticking and it's something they can then understand better and build on as they progress through their careers. And coach, just to go back to, and kind of stay on this thread too, the other thing you mentioned working with them on is sleep. What are those conversations like about trying to help, you know, college guys get you know, a good eight hours of sleep every night. Yeah. I mean, that's more just about, you know, 
managing your time, like it, and then yeah, there's some sacrifices, right? So that conversation goes back to what are the things you want to accomplish, okay? And in order to do that, here are some of the things that maybe you need to give up, and that might be some parts of your social experience because you need to get to bed because we have this in the morning, and you want to play at a certain level, then this needs to be part of your habit, yeah. right? And and in season. You know, we talk about taking care of your body all the time. And I think that sleep and getting a good night's rest is a big part of that. Coach, kind of moving from off the court maturity to on the court and some tactical conversations. I know you and I talked a little bit the other day about fluidity in an offense and being able to flow into your offense from a variety of situations, a broken break or underneath out of bounds, whatever it is that your team's able to flow naturally into what they do in the half court. And so your thoughts on you know moving into an offense and being fluid with it and kind of how you teach it and how you view it in general. I think fluidity and kind of that, like what you're talking about, that flow and movement to your offense is that's something we try to create and I think is important. I think it's important to your pace. You know, everyone talks about playing with pace and, and I think a lot of times we think about that as running in transition and getting up and down the floor. But I think your pace in the half court can be just as important from you know, one action to the next. And and we talk a lot about, we always want to keep pressure on the defense. We, we never want to allow them to relax or reset. Or, and so that means we can't reset. If you throw the ball out to the top and everybody runs to different spots and then you go into the action, like, well, the defense has that same opportunity to kind of prepare and load up and, and take things away. And, and so we try to keep things pretty constant in terms of our pressure on the defense. And we set a lot of ball screens in our offense. So we want to have great pace into that ball screen. And I think once we're in a ball screen, everyone knows based on where that screen happens on the floor and where they are, what their job is. But we also, if our ball screen isn't happening at that time, we want guys to continue to play. You know, like we have our big, our five is the only one who's consistently setting ball screens. He may roll or slip to the rim and now he's inside. And we don't want four guys just standing around waiting for him to come back up and set a second ball screen. So we kind of have to teach them, all right, well, here's how we're going to play without the ball screen. Here's what we're doing until the ball screen comes. And, you know, kind of talking to our five man about like, all right, you got to find a ball screen and they're going to keep playing. And then all that movement will create opportunities for them to then kind of make plays outside of the scripted portion of the offense. Coach, how do you generate pace into the ball screen? Yeah, so that's a good question. We talk a lot about, we want our big guys and the guards too, but we really want the big guys to understand the angle that we're trying to set the screen and where they're coming from on the floor. So if we're going down in transition and I'm a drag ball screen, I'm the five and I want to set a drag ball screen. Well, am I behind the ball? Because that's not necessarily an angle we're looking for. Am I in front of the ball? When do I run to the rim? Those are all conversations we're having and watching on film. If I'm in front of the ball, then I have the option to run to the rim. You know, if I'm open, we want to run to the rim, but we don't just run to the rim to do it. We run to create advantage. So if I'm ahead of my defender, I'm running to the rim, looking for layup, or I'm trying to get someone else to come and take me away. Because if someone has to come and take away the layup, now we're creating some advantage somewhere else, you know, where we can have a numbered advantage. If my defender's just jogging right along with me and I have no advantages, I want to get below the ball and come back and set a more of a flat ball screen where I can get the guard downhill. In that scenario, that angle is important. My pace is important. And then the other piece of that is there's a lot of times where I'm not going to create that angle just based on where I'm coming from. If I'm a little bit behind the ball and the timing isn't as good for me to get 
you know, go down, get below, come back up, right? Like that kills our pace too. If, if our guard has to stand there and dribble three times waiting for me to come get the angle I want on the ball screen. So I might go right at him knowing that my angle's not good and then just slip out, you know, and then you kind of get into the whole, what's the technique on the slip, but you, essentially you're trying to get the guy guarding the ball to maybe change the angle of his feet. So even if I don't get it on the slip, I'm creating an advantage where we can drive behind it. Those are all parts of it with the pace where they need to understand what we're trying to accomplish and then where they are on the floor. So if you're going east west, like if I catch it and swing it and I'm sprinting east west, like that's a much better time for me to slip because it's harder to create the angle. It's harder for my defender to stay attached to me in that one versus like if I'm on the block and I'm coming up in what would be a north south style kind of angle. That's a great opportunity to really set a nice, good, flat screen where I can get the guard downhill. So trying to teach them the concepts of what we're trying to accomplish and then how to get there. And okay, in this setting, maybe a slip is better. In this one, I can set a great screen. And we have some kind of built-in concepts of if this happens, then we'll mostly do this. But we also want the freedom of you can roll any screen, you can pop any screen, you can slip any screen. We have a lot of kind of teaching moments with our big guys in terms of how we want to screen, where we want to screen, and then kind of alternatives to that if you're not in those certain positions. And with the guard, what are you stressing with him to generate that pace? Those guys, I don't want them just holding the ball. So, right, like shoot it, drive it, pass it, keep moving. Like we should be able to get to a ball screen. It doesn't have to be my ball screen every time. So I want to move the ball and get off of it as opposed to just waiting for that screen. That's not quite equal amongst everybody on the floor, right? Like there's some guys that maybe you could take a dribble or two and we'd rather have you in the ball screen and and things like that. But, you know, for the most part, we want four guys in the perimeter being able to use that ball screen and keep it moving. So if the big's coming to ball screen for me, but maybe I already started to drive towards you for a DHO, that's fine. That big's still going to come set the ball screen, but you're just going to take it off the handoff, you know, because yeah. we would have traded spots. So for them, that's kind of where we want them to continue to play and move the ball. And then that five, he'll eventually get to a ball screen and he'll kind of find one as we're playing. And they get pretty good at seeing it come in, realizing what's happening, kind of continuing to play and finding places on the floor where maybe they can attack that's not even in the ball screen in certain situations that they kind of figure out this is good for me. Coach, on the topic of the big finding a ball screen and keeping the offense having good pace and fluidity, how do you teach the four offensive players to continue to you know have handoffs or whatnot and the big to then go find a ball screen that makes sense and so your offense is fluid, but it's not just being held up by one guy holding the ball? We actually play a fair amount of four-on-four without the big. Okay. So we'll play four-on-four with the guards kind of in those spacings where they don't have a ball screen. There's no ball screen coming. And they have to just kind of get in the habit of, you know, whatever your concepts are, right? Like this is when I hand off and we have movement, pass and go away. I pass and cut. Maybe I scream, like whatever your concepts are, it doesn't matter. We, we drill like the four guys continuing to play. And in particular, when we get into those periods where we are holding the ball too long, it's not moving, you know, that usually will help us like, all right, hey, let's just have a little period in practice where we're just going to refresh. Here's four on oh, four on four of just keep it moving, keep it moving. Trust that the five is going to find a ball screen, understand where you're on the floor, keep our spacing. So we just kind of take the five out of it and have them just work on like their piece of it so that it just refreshes their habits. 
just maybe for visually for people listening, where are I guess the four spots on the floor? You want those other four guys? Two corners and then kind of high and wide on the slots. Okay, but that's never exact, and you got to come out of the corner to get a catch sometimes, and and things like that. But yeah, just our default is high and wide in the two slots and the corners occupied. Okay. You alluded to it a little bit earlier, but I would assume within those four players, it's not necessarily an equal opportunity offense or everyone gets to run a pick and roll. So how do you go about making sure maybe the ball ends up in the right hands or people are playing to their strengths? A lot of that comes back to some of that maturation with the players and understanding what those strengths are. We talk a lot about playing to your strengths. We want everybody to play to their strengths, but it takes some self-awareness to really buy into this is my strength. This is my role in this group. We have those conversations a lot. So, I mean, a great example of that is kind of what we're talking about. If a guy is more of a catch and shoot player, then we want him to be in fewer ball screens. And there's opportunity to kind of avoid the ball screen if you want, right? Like I can just hand it off and someone else can take it. I can pass it and keep moving and it won't land on me very often. I mean, there are times where you can't really avoid it, but if I'm a catch and shoot guy and you're really good making plays off the bounce and I'm you know, in that slot, or maybe I'm a little wide, I catch it closer to the wing and you're in the corner and ball screens come in. It's better for all of us. If I go dribble handoff to you and you come off the ball screen and now I'm in the corner, you know, lifting behind that role, like we're all playing from a position of strength there. That possession is going to be better than if I come off the ball screen where I can't do as much off the bounce and I throw it to you and maybe you're not as good shooting it. Right. So you have to really get to a place of understanding to again, play with that anticipation and see that coming that I not only have to know here's a ball screen and here's where everyone is on the floor. I need to know who's there. I need to know who's in the corner and what that means for this scoring opportunity. And that takes, I think, experience, maturity, you know, self-awareness, anticipation. Those are the things that I think really take some time to get to that level. But when you do, that's where, you know, again, you're not doing a lot of coaching with that group that's doing that, right? Like they're handling a lot of that themselves. And I think that's what we're really trying to accomplish is, is teaching our guys to where we're doing a lot more rooting for them on the sideline than calling anything. And I think I know the answer, but with defining these roles, of course, it makes sense to have these individual conversations, but how much are you defining roles to the whole team or that the team knows each player's role? How are you working that in? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that we talk specifically to the team about, hey, Pat's going to take these shots and Dan's going to take these shots. You know, it's more, I think we talk about the shots that we want as a group, you know, and then we talk about playing to your strengths. We talk individually about here are the shots that we're looking for from you. Where can you find them? How do we get you in these spots? There's not a lot of times where we're laying out for the entire group, like, hey, Pat is only going to take these shots. Like, I think some of that is a lot more one-on-one just in terms of shot selection and role definition. We, we talk a little bit more individually with guys on that. Okay. I mean, they also yeah. figure it out when they take the wrong shots and we are like, well, that's a bad one. So now, yeah. you know, so but, <laughs> yes. yeah. those are the easy yeah. ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coach, I'd like to go back to teaching the, the pick and roll within your flow offense and to the four guards. The decision process, let's say on a pick and roll, maybe in the slot, is either throwing the ball ahead to the, the other slot, getting rid of it early, or throwing it back behind to the shake if there's someone behind. And what the reads are for that guard to know, hey, either get rid of it out in front, and maybe we can get drive action on the other side, or throw it back behind. How do you teach maybe what those reads may or may not be? That's a big part of playing pick and roll as a ball handler is, is kind of understanding that. But I think that we start with talking about the coverage on the ball screen. So 
if we know the coverage is going to be there in a drop, okay, let's just say they're in a drop, then that should inform everyone's decision, right? Like that should inform everyone's thinking. We have a lot of stretch big. So if they're in a drop, then we're going to pop that ball screen a huge amount of time. So when we come off, we're able to simplify like bigs in a drop. He stayed, your screener just called, you know, he told you he's going to pop, you know, all right, coming off and I'm throwing it back. And, you know, so the coverage, I think really informs a lot of that for them. Uh, hopefully we're trying to help them before they get in that situation by like really defining the things we're looking for in, in each scenario and trying to prepare them for opponents that way of what we expect to see. But that's where we want everyone to be paying attention to the coverage. So if you're in the corner and I'm using that slot ball screen, I'm going to the middle, right? I want you to recognize the coverage. You should see what's happening because if they're going to, you know, really hedge and your guy's going to tag, like you should be understanding what that means, what the coverage means for your defender, right? Or if they're going to switch, we see switch a fair amount because we have bigs that shoot the ball. So if I come off and they switch and I throw it back to the big on a pop and you're in the corner, well, he might come to you next. And if you didn't see that they switched the first one, you might not recognize they're going to switch yours. And he knows it's going to be a switch because they just switched one. And now he's going to slip because he knows switch is coming and you miss him as the passer because you weren't paying attention and it caught you off guard. Like, like really recognizing the coverage and having everybody recognize the coverage can then kind of, I think, really inform decision making about where's the help coming from. Coach, I'd like to ask about the pop. You hit on a little bit with how you get some connecting out of the pop action, but overall, how do you maintain the pace when the big pops? How do you respace and how do you continue to flow your offense kind of out of the pop when there isn't a shot? Yeah. So anytime that the five catches it, it's actually pretty fluid transition to the next action. So he can, you know, follow it to ball screen. He can DHO, he, you know, whoever gets it next, we're, we're kind of in that action and we just continue to flow. So when we throw it to him in the pop, it's actually a pretty good connector for us in the action. He's still on the perimeter. So we pop a fair amount. So we end up in kind of like this five out version of ball screen motion because of the amount we pop. And, and so that allows us opportunities for, you know, the idea being if the big helped a little bit, this next action, we should be slightly ahead, whether that's a hit sprint slip. And if you helped on my drive a little bit as the defensive big, like you got to try to keep up with that pace yeah. or Maybe it's a DHO where you got to get over the top of a shooter and now we can get downhill with a little roll on the empty side or something once they catch it in the pop. But getting it back to our big is in a pop is, is actually a really good connector and should be good for our pace. And so that's one that guys have to learn too, in particular, if teams are switching, is we're not going to get a shot out of the pop. But if you throw it to him, the next action is actually pretty tough for the defense, you know, so yeah. kind of figuring out this decision is not a scoring decision. It's a keep our pace decision. And I think that's something, you know, young guards in particular are thinking yeah. score assist every time they get a ball screen and they aren't able to help you with the flow. That again, the maturity process, but we want our five to get a catch. Like we kind of tell them if we get screwed up, if we get messed up on the possession, the five coming up and just getting the ball in his hands is a really nice reset for us because it doesn't slow us down too much and he can just, everybody knows the next one is an action okay. as opposed to just backing it out with the guard and kind of come and set the screen. We'd rather actually throw it to our five and play through them. And then kind of staying on this pop scenario, when the big is popping, do you like to have some sort of rim cut to maybe collapse the defense or take away the defender on the perimeter? Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. 
And then overall, how do you like to teach cutting within your offense? Our offense has kind of evolved based on personnel. We had, you know, a lot of stretch bigs and we didn't want to just pop and have no pressure on the rim, right? So you still want to put pressure on the rim, obviously the ball coming off. So then we had kind of built in cuts based on what happens. So if you pop, uh, let's say I'm using a middle ball screen going towards the one man side and you're going to pop kind of on the top of the key. Yeah. And so you have two guys on behind you. We would call that like a two behind. So we would kind of, people call this stuff all different, but like burn the stunt kind of action. So that's kind of an automatic, if you pop and you're the first guy in the two behind, you're going to go vaults in the air, right? So we kind of have these built in cuts for different situations on the floor where we pop so that we do put pressure on the rim, even though it's not with the big. There's kind of built-ins within the offense. If they don't get it, if they miss the cut or they don't execute it, it doesn't kill it. We can keep yeah. playing. Like you could just go DHO to that guy and, and keep playing, but it's built in for them to keep movement. It helps the spacing if that guy changes sides and we keep moving. So we kind of have some built-in cuts to help with all of that. But I, I tell them all the time that doing the wrong thing doesn't actually slow down our pace. Indecision slows down our pace. So if you just cut really hard and it's the wrong cut, that's really not going to mess up our offense. Like we'll just keep finding the next action. But if you start to cut and then replace yourself yeah. and then, you know, then nobody knows what to do. And, and the other guys who maybe have a little better understanding can't kind of fix the spacing or, or help it out when you make a mistake. So mistakes aren't really the problem. It, it's indecision. So if they're just decisive and they cut and they, they drive it hard in different places, like that's okay. We just want them to be decisive and aggressive. Coach, how do you avoid those four perimeter players kind of going through the motions where the ball's just moving around the perimeter, but there is no real threatening action. You're just over-reliant on getting to ball screens. I'm sure in some way it slows down your pace and you maybe become too predictable. So how do you teach that balance of let's use these actions, these connection actions, but let's also be aggressive? It's a challenge for sure. But one thing that we really talk a lot about is finishing your cut, get re-spacing. If we do a good job of that, then there's enough room on the floor that, you know, a guy is going to have the space to drive a closeout and really create some advantage on his own. And then because the ball screens can be so connected, like there are times where maybe it can get a little redundant and we have to kind of teach guys how to mix things up, but it happens quickly, right? Like if you go from that one, I described like the two behind, and then if you don't hit the cut and you go to the next guy, we would call that an empty ball screen where you have that action happening, Mm -hmm. that next ball screen. Well, then again, the connectivity, if you took the back cut, then you have to get opposite to the corner because when we set that empty ball screen or we go DHO there and that guard comes off middle, then the kind of built-in action there is the 45 cut. If we go middle, we turn that into like a pin down for that guy coming out of the corner. Yeah. So if you just jog through when you're burning the stunt, you're not going to be coming off the pin down in time. You know, so try to like, it's all kind of connected and it, and you have to keep moving again. That's two examples where we're in the ball screen, but those habits of finishing your cut, getting, you know, respacing the floor, where we go on penetration, you know, and then the other part is all of this is trying to create advantage, right? Get two on the ball, create some type of advantage. And then from there, there's no more ball screen. Like we're just trying, right? So now we're just keep it moving. Which direction do you want to go? Where do we have numbered advantage on the floor? So kind of taking that back end part and applying it to the four guys who are operating without the ball screen of 
okay, you just filled hard from the corner to the slot and you caught it. You're better off ripping it away from where you got it than just keeping going. You know, like some of those concepts of where to really here are the opportunities to be aggressive off the bounce to create some advantage or scoring opportunity without a ball screen. We talk about those too. And, and I think that's where guys can kind of find there's some freedom in it and they can be aggressive and, and kind of yeah. find their opportunities. Coach, love that burn cut and then pin down on the 45 yeah. on the backside. We'll have to go back through your film and uh, see if we can yeah. scrounge some of that up. Well, coach, we like to transition into a segment we call start, sub, or sit. And we're going to give you three basketball-ish topics and ask you to start one, sub one, and sit one. So Coach, if you're ready, we can uh, dive right in here. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard my share of these. I'm excited to see what you got in store. <laughs> yeah, for. Okay. Well, Coach, we're going to start with just a little bit of an off-the-floor question for you. So start, sub, sit. These are different coaching attires for the sideline that coaching staffs can wear and your preference here. So start, sub, or sit, the shirt and tie or the suit, the comfortable polo, just a polo and slacks. Or maybe a pullover sweater or sweatshirt on the sideline. I'm going to sit the suit. Okay. <laughs> I know that there's some dissenting opinions on whether or not we should be wearing suits, but I feel like we're basketball coaches. Yeah. It's not quite that serious, but <laughs> I would I would start the polo. Okay. I thought last year was ideal with everyone kind of sliding. I hope that it sticks around. Yes. Polo, I think, is the appropriate attire for coaching <laughs> basketball. And then, you know, the, the sweater pullover, I guess I would go next. Sub that one. Yeah. <laughs> and keep it comfortable. Is the sweater pullover an age-driven thing? <laughs> <laughs> it might be. I don't know. I, I've never worn one. I just like ranking them in order of casualness. Yeah. <laughs> we might need an alternative to the age-appropriate pullover. Yeah. <laughs> Pat and I were talking beforehand trying to figure out, yeah, maybe a third or fourth one here. And we don't know if maybe the coaching turtleneck will catch on like a thick turtleneck would be good uh, like the uh like a bob huggins i mean honestly if everyone's just wearing what bob huggins is wearing like i think we're all yeah happy. No. <laughs> well moving away from fashion yeah. uh <laughs> coach our next start subset is uh how you like to use the gravity of a shooter i mean i think we've touched on a little bit of all of them throughout but we're gonna now make you choose so using the gravity of the shooter spacing them Cutting him or having him be a screener? Shooting is so valuable. We really try to have as much of it on the floor as we can, but I would start spacing them. You know, I think that provides you the most flexibility and it's kind of a, a necessity. You need that one, I think, before everything else kind of falls into place. The next one I would go with uh, using them as a screener and then probably third is the cutter. I think as a screener, you're doing a little more to get somebody else open and create some advantage there, maybe another scoring opportunity for someone else or yourself. And then as a cutter, I think you're, you're maybe limiting that person's strength a little bit, depending on who they are. With the screening actions, any screens you prefer one over the other when you're uh, with a shooter? We would try to typically get something for a bigger player going to the rim, you know, shooter either kind of popping from there or getting kind of that second screen okay. screener action. But I think if you can bigger player going to the rim is harder to switch, you know, really it's hard to, even if you're trying to do it in your preparation of like, just let that guy go. I think it's hard for defenders to just let people go on wide open to the rim. So they react a little differently. So yeah, big guys headed to the basket is our typical version of screening yeah. for our shooters. When two guards are coming into a screening action, would you prefer the shooter receives the screen or the shooter sets the screen? 
mostly receives, I think. I think that puts the most pressure on the defense in, in terms of what they have to do. Yeah, and Coach, just my quick follow-up on this, because when we were talking about this question, it was kind of under the umbrella of like, if you're designing a set, like a specific set, maybe to get someone else the ball and you just want to use the shooter as a decoy, kind of how you think about either spacing them, using them as screeners or, or cutting. And I guess, because we both were thinking about the cutting, how you might use that, the gravity of a great shooter kind of burn cutting or, or cutting in some way to clear out a, a space. I know you sat it, but are there any instances where you maybe see that cutting a, a great shooter would lead to something advantageous in a set? Well, yeah. I mean, I think if you think about the action a little bit more completely, I mean, I was thinking just like the specific cut, but I, yeah, what we do a fair amount is we have those guys cut and then we kind of described it a, a few minutes ago, but when they cut and then they finish on the other side, there might be another action there where they're having to move, right? It's just kind of like yeah. making them move, having that defender be, again, keeping pressure on them. And when you take them away from the action, you know, and maybe you have a ball screen behind where they just left as a defender. Okay. I have shooter and my responsibility is to really chase that guy. Yeah. Okay. So now he's going to clear the space and maybe you're going to get a roll layup out of the ball screen because you're just straight blindly chasing shooter to the corner, but trying to have that kind of next thing for them, I think really adds a lot of value. Absolutely. Okay. All right, coach, our next start sub or sit. And this is about when another team has a, like a great full court on-ball defender and just a pesky full-court defender bothering your point guard and three different types of actions you can do to just get the ball past half court against this great defender. So start sub or sit, just clearing everybody out and giving them the whole back court to have room to make space to go by, stopping maybe someone, one of your bigs around half court and setting like a flat ball screen so they can kind of use the ball screen in the back court or just throwing it back to your trail or your inbounder and getting your point card out and not even bothering with that defender and entering your offense from the trail man. It would depend a little on my point yep. guard and how much we kind of depended on that person. But if they weren't kind of your driver of everything offensively and you had to have the ball in their hands, then I'm going to start just giving the ball to someone else and just kind of taking that guy away. We're pretty fluid in how we can enter our offense. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that point guard and, and we would be fine just kind of getting going and we could run just about everything with someone else. So I would start that if you have, you know, maybe that's a guy like you really don't want to just take the ball out of his hands because he's your key guy. Then I would probably sub that like really high flat ball screen and then use it as an opportunity to get him into space. Like if we set a good one, now our best player theoretically is into space and we're just going to attack right away. and We would just kind of go right into offense see if we can't get them downhill and play right away from there. And then the last one would be just leave him one-on-one against the great defender in the backcourt. I feel like that's just playing to their strength. If that guy, you know, wearing our guard down, that's a lot of work for those guys who uh, we got to bring the ball up the floor and burst that kind of pressure all the time. So I would sit that one and try to avoid it if we could. A quick little tangent, Coach Harney, talk about setting that flat screen and kind of creating the early advantage. If teams are pressuring you, where do you fall on how aggressive you want your offense to be in terms of, yeah, let's try to take that first advantage and punish them versus let's beat it, slow it up, and now get into our stuff? I would say we were going to fall on the more aggressive side of that. We're going to try to be a team that's hard to press. Like if teams press us, we try to put shooting on the back end of it. If we can get two guys kind of on the back end of the press, try and break the press with three. And now you got kind of 
one guy responsible for both corners at the back end. Like we're trying to shoot a three on the back end of that. So when we put in press offense to start the season, we kind of start with, Hey, we're going to try and shoot threes at the back. Like if we get pressed, so be prepared for that. And I think if the team's pressuring you that way and you try to like slow down and execute too much, you're playing right into their hands a little bit. I mean, obviously maybe you got like a little action where you can get them on a back door, make them pay for some things. But, you know, I want our guys kind of going back to the beginning where we want to create some freedom for them and trust our players. Like, I want them to not be limited in their aggressiveness versus pressure. You can't let guys guard the ball at, at 45 feet and not just go by them. You know, you have to try to go by them and make plays. And so that would be our approach. We would definitely be more aggressive versus that scenario. Coach, do you feel like the paradigm has shifted in terms of why teams press? Because I'm, I'm with you. I feel teams, they press. And if you slow it up, they want that. That means they can be aggressive and get away with it. Where I think too, though, coming up, people also said like, well, if they press and you play fast, you're playing into their tempo and taking quick shots. That's what they want. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting concept. Do you feel like it's shifting more towards like slowing it up is working into their hands than playing fast? Yeah, I definitely think that. I mean, I think a lot of that is right. The whole, oh, you're going to play too fast and take quick shots. Some of that is kind of the what we think a good shot is now, right? Like the analytics yeah. of a good shot and what we're okay with. If we get a good look at a three from the right guys, then I mean, we'll shoot that with 28 on the clock. We want that going up every time. I think it's just a, a byproduct of getting quality shots is very difficult. And so if they're going to extend their defense to guard 94 feet and you have an opportunity to get a quality shot, you know, outside of just like time score, late game situation, yeah. I think you just can't pass up good shots. I can't tell you how many times I've watched them film with guys and they aren't ready to shoot or pass up a good shot. And then we'll say like, okay, well, that was an opportunity to score. You weren't ready to shoot it. Let's see what we get on this possession. And it is almost yeah. always <laughs> something bad. You know, it's a turnover. It's a, a bad shot. It's, you know, that was our chance to score. You didn't shoot it, you know? So we want to be aggressive shooting the basketball. And I think that that's, not unique to us. And I think that's kind of a byproduct of people's approach to press offense and press attacks. If you're playing a team that you know on every made basket is pressuring up, whether it's maybe a, a man pressure or maybe a zone kind of a trap, I feel like there's kind of two schools of thought of either take it out quick and get it in and try to beat the pressure before they're set or let maybe the ball bounce, slow it, set up your press breaker get guys to spots so you're able to handle any sort of trap. Where do you sort of fall within that of how quickly you would take it out against a pressing team? We would try to kind of get a little bit of both in. Basically, if we can quickly get it in to the right person, we would go ahead and take advantage of that. If that's not available to us, then we would maybe slow down and make sure we get the ball in the hands of the right people. So I think it's just about getting the ball where you want it with who you want it to be with. And the sooner you can do that, the better. Okay, coach, our last start sub sit for you. Start sub or sit, tough to teach or bad habits to, to change from your players. So teaching them not to foul, teaching shot selection or teaching cutting. I would say for us, the toughest, I don't know if it's the toughest, but it's something we probably put the most time in is shot selection, right? And really trying to teach them what shots we want them to take, why how to find them. Like we spend a lot of time on shot selection, right? Like that's great that you can create your own shot and take a tough, you know, off the dribble three. But you know, if it's 22 on the shot clock, maybe that's not the right one. You know, it's like, so trying to get them to understand not just what shots to take, but when to take them and all that stuff. I think that's probably number one on that list, or at least we spend the most time on it. And then I would say cutting next, because 
I think there's definitely a nuance to cutting and there's definitely, there's a little bit of like, guys kind of either have it or they don't, you know, yeah. but some of that, I think that there's just a feel to when to cut, how to get yourself open, the timing of those things. Like some guys just have a knack for that. And I feel like that's something that is, you can teach them when to do it, but like the guys who are really good at it, I don't know that you're teaching them to be that good at it. They just kind of have that knack for it. And then the third one, I guess, would be not fouling. I think that's something, you know, technique wise, scheme a little bit, you can really help them out with in terms of, you know, matchups, things like that, where you can control a little more of that. Just with the shot selection, I'm curious to hear under 10 seconds on the shot clock, what's the shot you want? Under 10, I think we're going to be pretty aggressive when we get under 10. So then I think a lot of times we're really talking about maybe who has the ball more mm -hmm. than the shot they're going to, right? Like late clock is about who do we want to be the person who's going to try to bail us out of these possessions based on skill set matchup, you know, it might not be the same every time, but you know, we've had, you know, different, what the defense is doing. So we kind of take all of that into it. And so like the end of the clock is just, Hey, it didn't work. You know, clearly it didn't yeah. work. The, the hard part is finding a balance between staying in the flow and just continuing to try to create shot out of that possession or disrupting that a little bit to play through a certain player. And, and again, that's something that we might change a little bit night to night based on what the defense is doing and things like that. But yeah, that's always a little bit of a tougher decision. It, it kind of quickly staying on that thread. And when you say game to game, is it like you'll kind of, these are some matchups we'd like or in our favor. So if it is under 10 and it, ends up here, we'll, we'll stop and we'll let them go to work. Or is it, if the ball finds your certain better players under 10, it's like, Hey, let's then kind of stop and let him go to work. Our kind of default is trying to get them to understand, like if it lands on certain guys late, we might stop, you know, there's a little bit of slow down. Let's let it stay with that guy. So he can try to bail us out. But then yeah. in terms of like night to night, like we had an example where, you know, teams switching the ball screen and they have a big, but they switch anyway because our guard maybe struggled to create on his own. So you can have like a real, you know, 6'10 guy guarding our guard yeah. and we're not really able to create. So then in a different situation, so like we play them again, we might change who we want to have it at the end or who gets maybe the last ball screen versus switch and is the one who's going to have to attack that switch because this guy shoots it better and we're going to bring that big out further and we got a better chance to create some offense because he can't just sag so that would be kind of a minor adjustment of you know typically we're going to go with this guy late in the clock because he's got the most juice off the bounce but in this specific situation we would maybe lean in a different direction just based on what the other team is doing okay coach my follow-up is with the cutting again and you mentioned that kind of something that some guys have a knack and some guys don't i'm interested in the guys that don't have the knack and how you still use them in the offense to either create space or just you give them rules just saying, okay, well, they don't have the knack. So I'm just going to tell you the ball's here, you're cutting. So you create space or how do you teach the guys that don't have the knack? Yeah. So those guys, they pretty much are just going to stick with the cuts that are built in. Okay. They rarely kind of go outside of that. or just like, Hey, my guy's not paying attention. Here's a cut ball's coming at me. I'm going to back that kind of thing. But we have the, you know, burn the stunt cut that's built in. We kind of talked about that empty side ball screen. If that gets rejected and driven baseline, we cut that 45. Okay. You know, if that comes to the middle, that that 45 cut actually turns into pin down. So like those are kind of built ins. We want them to see it coming and know like, okay, I'm the cutter in this action and at least like get it right that they did cut. 
But in terms of, but we're going to score less when they're the cutter on that baseline drive in the 45 because the angle isn't right or they were late or early or, you know, whereas just some guys yeah. have just such a good feel for getting into that space at the right time and putting them in position for easy baskets. Okay. Coach, do you run into with these built-in cuts that, you know, you want the guy making the cut, but maybe it's not a great finisher. Do you run into the fact that, hey, don't send him that pass because he, you're putting him in a tough spot where he can't finish? Just let them make the cut and then let's continue. Yeah, that happens occasionally. What well, a better solution for that for us would be some of that self-awareness we talked about with our guys. Huh. So if you're an undersized guard and you can really shoot it and I'm six, eight athletic, really good cutter and you're in the 45 and we see it coming, you and I can change spots before the action happens. Yeah. And now we're again, back to positions of strength. If you recognize what's coming and I recognize what's coming and we kind of like look at each other and switch spots, then now I'm going to basically take that cut for you and you're going to be spacing the floor. So if I don't get it and we go one more, you know, it could land on you for jump shot as opposed to me. So two years ago, our last division two year, we had a really, really experienced team and they would do things like that. And then we, sometimes we wouldn't even see it till we're watching film, but of guys coming down in transition and like changing spots because they know where the ball's going to go and they're playing with so much anticipation that they're able to get each other in, in positions of strength. And so again, that just meant there wasn't a lot for me to do during those yeah. games. But, uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun to be on a team like that. For sure. Well, coach, you're off the start, sub, sit, hot seat. Thanks for, for going through those. On That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, no, that was great. All right. So we got one more closing question for you, but uh, before we do, uh, Thank you very much for your time this morning. And it was fun to pick your brain and hear all your thoughts. So we appreciate your time today. Oh, yeah. No, thanks for having me. You guys are doing a great job. I love listening to these. I feel like I get a new idea every time you guys release one. So we appreciate what you guys are doing. That's great to hear. Thank Thank you, you, Coach. Yeah, appreciate that. So, Coach, it's a question that we ask a lot of guests at the end. And it's always an interesting answer and different every time. But wondering what one of the best investments that you've made in your career has been? I think for me, I would just say kind of investing in your players and the rewards that come from that. I think this profession is, <laughs> it could be a roller coaster, yeah. you know, but I, I think there's just, it's so rewarding when, when you're kind of all in with guys and you see them have success and some of the uh, things that come from that, I would say whatever job, you know, you're in, just pour everything into the players. And a lot of great stuff is going to come from that. I'm kind of a unique progression in the coaching world. You see, San Diego is the only place I've worked. I spent nine years here as an assistant, and then I've been the head coach for the last eight, you know, and, and coaching such a transient profession that, you know, it's unique to just be at one place and just try to appreciate where you are and pour everything into your players. And, you know, again, it kind of goes back to having great people in the room. But if you got a lot of great people in the room, and then, you know, some fun stuff can happen from there. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode with Coach Eric Olin. Please make sure to visit slappingglass.com for more information on the free newsletter, videos, the Slapping Glass Plus membership, and more. Have a great week coaching, and we'll see you next time on Slapping Glass.